Welcome to Mercola Healthy Pets Integrative Veterinary Medicine Awareness Week. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and as a part of our 10-year anniversary celebration, I'll be interviewing some pretty amazing colleagues who practice integrative and functional medicine. Starting this week, you can also nominate your vet or a local rescue or an inspiring individual in your community to be the recipient of our new Healthy Pets Game Changer Award. I hope that you'll tune in every day this week to be inspired and educated by passionate healers from around the world. And don't forget to nominate that special someone that you know that has gone above and beyond to help animals. Again, thank you so much for your support. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and with me today is Dr. PJ Broadfit, who's joining me in celebrating Integrative Veterinary Medicine Awareness Week. Thank you, Dr. Broadfit, for joining me. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad to be here. Well, this is, um, this is exciting. I've talked to you before, but you have a very diverse and very interesting background when it comes to, you graduated with the tools that veterinary medicine provided to you conventionally. Talk to us a little bit, PJ, about how your inquisitive spirit uh, just was looking for more solutions, more options. You, you have been a perpetual learner your whole life, <laughs> and, and that probably is a part of it. But, but talk to our listeners and, and our readers a little bit about what, why you decided to pursue so many different modalities after you already got a degree. Well, fortunately for me, I was in a uh, family that had lots of lots of medicine. My, so my stepdad was a cardiologist internist. My, uh, my uh, biological father was a neurologist. So we were kind of like inundated with medicine. Uh, and, you know, he was a my stepdad was actually much more integrated than I even knew for, you know, years later when we were, he was retired. He said, well, you know, honey, um, uh, nitroglycerin is a, is a homeopathic dilution. And, you know, every, every cardiologist in the country knows about nitroglycerin, but he also used Rawolfia serpentina for high blood pressure, which I had never known. He actually had a compound where they took it off the market. Uh, I was completely floored by that, but he had archives of, of data. You know, I did a project when I was in high school, believe it or not, on myasthenia gravis, and, and he had a file on it. So, you know, just, he was a, he was a lifelong learner as well, which I think made a big difference for me. Um, and fortunately for me also, I was, when I was in vet school, they actually brought a couple of acupuncturists in, of all things, at K-State, at that point in time, certainly not an integrated school. Um, not sure they are now either. But so I kind of knew there was a, big, a much bigger world out there. Uh, and and when I and there's things that you, you know, people say when you're in vet school that you think, why did they say that? <laughs> like I had a, a large animal uh, doctor that said he was a cow vet actually that said, well, you know, if you can't get that cow over it, take a slug of blood out of the jugular and put it back in the hip. And I went okay, that was a weird thing to say. Well, you know, years later, I'm in Germany learning about autosanguous therapies and ozone, you know, one of the big things is just the, the large blood autosanguous, basically. And I had that done when I was in Germany. So I've kind of been interested in ozone ever since. But there was just those little clues that, you know, those little crumbs that get dropped along the way that, that make you think about other things. I read the article on uh, butazole and retarding bone healing in racehorses when I'm still in vet school. So I knew non-steroidals weren't necessarily all they're cracked up to be. Uh, and then also when I was in vet school, someone made a commentary about basically um, uh, poop transfers, you know, 
uh, uh, microbiome, and, like restorative therapy. Exactly. Now they have fancy. Now they have fancy words for oh, it. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Sounds a lot better than it used to. <laughs> but I actually did my first poop transfer when I was in when I my first year out of vet school because I worked on the movie The Blue and the Gray, and I there was a there was a. a professional professional falling horse that came from hollywood old and he colicked and i'm telling you not a single drug worked on that I, all the drugs that in my armamentarium none of them worked so i you know i was desperate and right out of vet school and we're i'm getting ready to lose a, an expensive horse and so i slurried a bunch of of uh piles of manure from various and sundry you know healthy animals there and put it down with a nasal tube, and it was like miraculous. Wow. Now, here's the dumb thing. I didn't do it again for about 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thinking, why didn't yeah. I do it again? So now we're doing quite a few of them. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, those were just kind of things that were in vet school that made me know that there were other things out there. So I would actually, I, I would call that common sense that you took what you learned, but also what you heard, you investigated it. And if it made sense, or if you were desperate, or just your inquisitive mind, you would pursue those things that made logical sense to you, which is not just brilliant. I, I think that oftentimes, integrative medicine is classified as alternative, yeah, and which means it's exactly, which means there's something different when really it's like logical common sense medicine that we would start with initially because it tends to be, tends to be less toxic. And so we would start there and then move up the toxicity scale. But, but I, it, it sounds to me like you just came to that as a point of common sense. So then it had to be strange to you when you went through your conventional medical training to then realize that the vast majority of what we see are sick patients because we didn't really learn how to teach our clients how to maintain patients in a state of vibrant health. Like we weren't really taught how to keep animals healthy. We were only taught how to treat animals when they were sick. Yes, absolutely. And so, so talk a little bit about in your ideal world, First of all, when you graduated from veterinary school, because I didn't have any wellness protocols, I kind of had to develop those. Like, we you know, what if you were to give tips or suggestions to pet parents or even other veterinarians, talk to me a little bit about what you've done with your own practice in helping clients understand the real concept of wellness, which is not just the absence of symptoms, but it's actually making the body vibrantly well so that you become more disease resistant. How, how did you go about doing that when there wasn't a manual or a class for that 30 years ago? Well, well there's, you know, there's a couple of things. There, for one thing, the only thing that has level one evidence for longevity is weight restriction. So that's, a, that's something we push a lot in our practice because, you know, patients and their pet parents, uh, the obesity and just even just general overweight is, uh, is rampant. You know, we're just, we're, We've got to get those uh, people. When we get there, it makes them a lot more aware of themselves and their pets. So that's one big thing. Exercise, air, um, grounding, I think is kind of interesting, standing on the earth. Um, the diet stuff, you know, we feed things that are, that are really not suited to what dogs should eat. And, and if you just look at the stuff like the glyphosate out there, you know, they spray wheat with, with Roundup to dry it. Well, it was one of its first patents. Patents was as an antibiotic, so you know it's not doing nice things to the microbiome. Um, 
the other things are we do very limited vaccines, very limited. Um, that's a big paradigm shift. And it's really a tough thing because um, people are, we've been so uh, conditioned to think that, hold on for a second, I'm sure. going to turn my phone off because sure. just sure as the world, it will ring in the middle of this. I was, in a, I was uh, giving a lecture one time and my daughter called in the middle of it. That was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> so. <laughs> She, she has her own yes. ring. So I yes. said, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so limited vaccines. Um, and, you know, we're, we, I'm actually doing two lectures this fall at AHVMA. Uh, one is on wellness and the other is on telomeres. So, nice. which is actually an, a component of, of wellness. So, you know, there are things, I've been taking blue-green algae for, well, since 1995, long time. Um, it's remarkable the things that that can promote wellness that and I think because they fill in nutritional gaps they're detoxifying uh, they have some alkalinity type factors that also because we run chronically acidic kind of as a nation um, in the last 10 years I've had things dropped in my lap you know how that happens you know you walk by a, a booth and you think I haven't seen that before. So, you know, like deer antler is a part of our practice now. Uh, Glycoflex changed the way I practice medicine in 1983 um, because, you know, I knew that that butte retarded bone healing in racehorses, but I, I didn't know what else there was. And uh, my friend, Marty Langhofer, actually, and the one who got me kind of really pushed me into doing getting into ozone in the last couple of weeks, um, just happened i called him about uh, about a tying up syndrome course that i had and he said well you know you might try this dimethylglycine dmg yeah. and they've got something that's pretty good for arthritis called glycoflex so you know i went and <laughs> ordered the, i ordered it because you had to get it from vermont you can get it from a from a distributor then and oh my goodness it just yeah. made me completely reformat what i thought about inflammation and healing because these you know when you give it to the dogs that can't get up and, you know, two weeks later, the owners are in going, I don't know what the dog's taking, but I want some of that. Um, we sell a lot of the, of the Perna for humans because of that. Um, and then the deer antler a couple of years ago, it had Perna in it. And that's actually what sparked my initial interest. Well, and it took me, I was kind of resistant. I didn't try it for a year or two. But then I started looking at the data on it, and it's amazing. It's the only yeah. mammalian tissue that regenerates every year. So, you know, they'll grow an inch or two a day, literally an inch yep. or two a day. So that got me really started on that as a wellness, you know, you know what can we do to keep the body regenerating? Um, and other things, colostrum thymus was a huge part. I, I started using it about 10 years ago, uh, and I had heard about it in Germany uh, probably 25 years ago. They use it for cancer. And I thought, I got back to the United States and I went, where do you get thymus extract? Yeah. Um, and about seven years after that, I had a rep come in my clinic and said, are you interested in thymus extract? I went, yeah. So about a week or so later, I got the mail from Hawaii. And then I didn't know what to do with it, of course. So you use it on the case that absolutely nothing else worked on. And it's a miracle. Uh, those are the ones you know you're supposed to stick with that. And so we've been using that for about 10 years. And uh, I went and actually got to interview Dr. Ushijima, who developed that. 
in Hawaii last year. And I'm going to tell you, I admire your interviewing stuff. It's not that easy to be an interviewer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seven hours of interview with Dr. Ushijima. Unbelievable. The stuff that, that is getting lost from view because there's no place to, yeah. know, how do you get it out there? How do you get that? Yeah. And, and so PJ, along that same vein, it's like, not just with the thymus extract, which I've also had, I mean, everything from FIV positive kitties to, like you said, dogs with cancer. It's, it's one of those uh, amazing supplements that people just don't know about. And our conventional colleagues don't know about many of these kind of bridge building modalities, techniques, mm -hmm. supplements, interventions. There's a lot that our conventional colleagues, I think, aren't aware of because they didn't learn about it in veterinary school. And they're, like you said, some of these treatments, supplements, modalities aren't necessarily being written up in AVMA journals or they're going to conferences where conventional vets can find them. So they're lost. They're floating out there waiting for practitioners to discover. And it's a shame because, because they're not widespread or known about, by default, people think that it must be a sales pitch or it doesn't work and when really it's just undiscovered healing yeah I, you're absolutely correct that's and i it, you have to be a, a seeker yeah i liked i like the way you described earlier when you say desperation sometimes pushes you into integrative into integrative medicine and and that's what I found over the years is the it's the it's the tough cases the the things that for which you have no other option, uh, or the owners don't want to do conventional. The first dog that got me really started on homotox was an osteosarcoma dog, and they did not want to do chemo, and they didn't want to take the leg off. Uh, so that left you with basically nothing. Yep. And so uh, I had actually had a copy of the Orange Book for. Years, years and years and years. And I take it out every once in a while. I might open it up and look at it and look too complicated. So I close it back up and put it back on the shelf. So uh, after I spent, like, you know, this was before Google. You couldn't just look stuff up. You had to actually go to journals. And, and I, so I even called Brzezinski in Houston to see if there was something that he might have. And, and you know, those are species and cancer specific. Nothing that they could do for me. Um, so anyway, I called up Heal. And then, you know, the number in the orange book and, and said, I have an osteosarcoma dog, what do you have? And they sent me a half a dozen things. And that dog lived like 18 months and was wow. running and playing and compressed the bone. I mean, it was huge. I've got pictures of that, of that uh, tumor when it started and it actually shrunk. And the dog had an absolutely fabulous quality of life. Yeah. And, the, you know, the owners are now thinking, you know, maybe we should have taken the leg off at that point in time. And knowing that what we know now, we've done some thymus dogs with that and with kind of the same history. The really intriguing thing is we had never had any, and that's not, you can't say never, but in our cases, at least, we didn't see evidence of metastases. Mm. So, you know, when we went to take the, like the leg off of one of those dogs, she lived another year or so after that. And I, she was 14 or 15, I think, and she was a big dog. Yeah. Um, and her, she actually, they put her down because her hips, her hips gave up, not because yeah. wow. of the, so, so anyway, you know, those are the kinds of cases that, and, and scan dogs, oh my gosh, you know, you see the evidence of your failures and not necessarily failures, because right? I tell people, you know, when you, when, as, as long as those dogs are over the allergic threshold, 
they are going to be reactive. So you really have to educate people, including veterinarians. I send a lot of my three-page uh, article that I've written up on, on allergies because when you know we treat allergies like they're a skin problem. They're ultimately not. They're a liver and intestinal tract problem with a skin manifestation. They do suck up allergens through the skin, but their problem is they can't, they can't process the toxins. So, you know, the, the skin dogs have taught me a lot yeah. about, uh, about health and healing, but those are the, you know, it's the desperate ones. It's the ones that I can't yeah. find anything else for that make me look for ever more tools or paints for my paint box. And, and what that tells me, I think, is that your heart is reflective of so many integrated practitioners. It's not that we're seeking out weird and wacky or different techniques. It's that when we were taught in veterinary school, these, for instance, with the osteosarcoma dog, here are your two options, amputation or chemotherapy. Neither one of those being acceptable for a client. What I feel like is that integrated practitioners are a category of people with a mindset of, I will do everything in my power to not tell my client there's nothing I can do. So let me go find something I can do to exactly. offer you in mm -hmm. an attempt to improve the quality and quantity of your animal's life. I think that that's the differentiation factor is that we, will, we are desperately trying to provide more options which means we're exploring a whole lot more paths than maybe our conventional colleagues. But exploring those paths is something I want to encourage our colleagues to do because in exploring other options, not only do we bring hope to our clients, but I think we bring hope to our own souls as doctors. And we have a problem in veterinary medicine with burnout and compassion fatigue and suicide, um, desperate depression, desperation, the feelings of desperation are common in our profession. Mm -hmm. And I think that having all of the tools that are potentially addable to our toolbox could help with that. And, and you've done that. And that's one of, one of the things you said to me via email was, you know what, I, I would like to talk about being proactive instead of reactive because once you're already in a reactive mindset disease is already set in we're already mm -hmm. chasing we're already behind the disease process we're not going to get in front of it when the body's been allowed to degenerate so talk a little bit about in your ideal world pj we would be teaching students wellness not symptoms uh, and chasing symptoms talk a little bit about your theory with chasing symptoms <laughs> well you know that's a that's a that's the most frustrating thing for me is that you know what i'd like to see is our animals live longer at a higher quality and same thing with people you know and i know you can do it i know you can because you know when about the same time that 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 first osteosarcoma dog with the that i treated with homotox my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer that fall well i knew in the spring of that year that she was sick my sisters and I would call each other and say, okay, something wrong, something's wrong with mom because she's a ball of fire. And she was not. She was, she was fatigued. Uh, she was sleeping a lot. And, you know, she's just, she's always doing something. So I started her on the algae because I had just started taking it and I felt better. Physiologically, I felt better. Mentally, I felt better, which I think is an interesting thing. I think Nick Gonzalez said um, that attitude is everything when it comes to cancer. And, and I've, I truly believe that. So when she was diagnosed in the fall, she said, I'm going to be fine. And, and I think that's a huge difference. And I think the algae did that, was part of what did that. You know, it's very high in PEA. So wellness often starts in the mind. 
and especially in people, but even in dogs and, and cats and horses as well. Uh, and she's 93. That was in 1995, 1996. She never did chemo. She never did radiation. She had a radical mastectomy. And, uh, you know, that's incredible. So if you can get someone through that, I really think she probably had some signs of metastatic disease probably earlier, but it regressed. Of course, we have no evidence of that. So we might want to strike that part of the conversation. But, but the fact that she's still going uh, right. and still mentally good shows you that there are physiologically correct things that you can take that can help. You know, we're so toxic. You know, it's not like you can just, just change your diet and everything's going to be fine because the glyphosate toxicity and the Teflon and the plastics, microplastics, you really do have to have some, some things in your armamentarium that help. And, uh, you know, when I started taking algae in the fall of 95, I was chronically fatigued. And you talked about burnout and suicide. I was semi-suicidal. I was so fatigued. Um, and I thought I, I, I had four kids under the age of six. And oh. my, longest, my longest maternity leave was three days. Um, I had three days, literally. I, when I had Bria, I left the hospital and went to work. Gosh. So, you know, I was tired. And, I, you know, I couldn't, I didn't sleep well at night. And my brain was derailed all the time. Like I would start in the middle of a conversation. I'd forget where the conversation was going. Yeah. You know, it's like, it was embarrassing. And, and I thought, you know, I'm like 39, 40 years old. I, how am I going to live like this? So when I started taking algae, I just happened to get a cold market tape in the mail. And I started taking it and, oh my goodness, it was, I realized I was sleeping better. My brain came back and my allergies that I'd had for like 10 years, because I'd wrecked my gut with non-steroidals, by the way. Um, my allergies went away. Did, you know, I stay below the allergic threshold. I almost never react. So that made me realize there are some remarkably sparing things out there in the, in the nutritional world. You know, data on curcumin and thousands of papers on curcumin, if you get the right curcumin in particular. But um, so if we, could, if we could teach our, my goal and, and yours, you know, as from this from this series that you're doing is to shorten the learning curve for other veterinarians so that they don't have to do all the rabbit hole, you know, searching that we've been doing for the last 30 years. Um, you know, that's why I teach homotox and, and that's, and this latest in the last couple of years, I've really gotten interested in the wellness, um, the things that regenerate, and then I'm still studying the telomere stuff because if we can keep the telomeres from shortening, we can improve uh, the anti-aging wellness aspects of life. And we could offer, you know, we have to be able to do that at a cost, you know, something that's not cost prohibitive. And even if you did things like detoxing and wellness uh, every, at the change of every season. So, you know, where people could afford to do it, but they would be giving their animals and themselves um, something that improved the DNA, the mitochondria, you know, our, our battery packs is that we do so many things that are mitochondrial, uh, create mitochondrial deficits. A lot of people don't realize that antibiotics wipe out mitochondria. And there are 2,000 to 2,500 mitochondria per liver cell. So what happens when you give an antibiotic say that wipes out mitochondria you know you've lost your ability to make atp energy. yes yep. it's all about energy all about
And so th those are fantastic tips and tricks when it comes to helping people think about, you know, what is, especially veterinarians, I think, you know, that are thinking, I am not sure uh, that I can continue on practicing 10, 20, 30 more years. Uh, you are a beautiful example of living proof that if you have options for improving a healing response, manifesting healing response, if you can just think outside the box enough, if you're desperate enough to think outside the box, the potential is there for you to have a wildly fulfilling career for 30, 40, 50 years, but you know, for the rest of our careers and many of our colleagues, we can look forward to our future with excitement. Even amidst trying times, there can be hope uh, amidst pandemics or epidemics. We can have hope in the sense that the body is remarkable at adaptation. If the immune system is supported correctly, the, the potential is there for the body to not just recover magnificently, but we can do things to bolster defenses to help prepare the body. We don't have to view ourselves as sitting ducks or our, our families as just kind of waiting victims for things to attack our immune systems. We have the ability to actually bolster innate immune defenses that can empower us to take not just better care of ourselves, but all of our family. And those are things that we've all learned outside of medical school. And in your situation, you, this beautiful blend of your parents' influence with your medical knowledge and also your deep desire to want to continue learning, you've not only applied this to your own personal life and to your professional life, but you're teaching others. You're doing a great job of sharing what you've learned, which I'm very thankful for. Well, you know, I've been, I have been blessed. I have to tell you, I've been blessed because it's, like I said, those clues, those little clues from vet school, from my, you know, growing up, my family, the, when I went to vet school, my, my dad said, don't you want to be a real doctor? <laughs> an artsy joke. It's like, you know, I, no, I didn't want to be an arty. I didn't want to be a real doctor. So actually down the road, I think he, he admired that decision. I have a sister who's a pulmonologist. So, you know, she's kind of front lines on this COVID thing, but, yeah. um, you know, even th she's thinking outside of the box, which I'm just delighted about after all of these years, you know, sh the medicine, especially on the human side is like, a, she said, it's like a cattle call. You got to see somebody every 15 minutes Well, you, you can't do good medicine in 15 minutes. You, you, you can't even get a history in 15 minutes. So, you know, I, I would, I would like people to, to realize that, you know, I, I'm mid sixties and uh, you know, I don't, I don't really see an aunt Jeff said, don't you want to retire? I said, no, you know, yeah. what would I do? And, and I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm always so excited about that case that, that responds believably well. You know, that's that, that there's no conventional drugs. When they come to us, often they've already had all the conventional drugs. So, you, you know, and, and there are veterinarians who, you know, <laughs> used to think I was crazy. They might still, but they're more polite about it than they used to be. Um, but they'll actually send me cases when they yeah. kind of reach the end of the, uh, of the, the road. There's, and because there is, there is an end of the road to, to conventional medicine. Yeah. There are things that they just can't do because they don't promote healing. Therefore, they're almost all antis, antiarrhythmics, rhythmics, antipyretics, anti, you know, just antipyretics, for example, you know, when they're looking at uh, like the, the, this this new virus well antipyretics are probably not 
a good idea because right. some of them ramp down glutathione. And so, so what else do you have? You know, what else do you have in your armamentarium? And there are a lot of them. Sometimes that helps people, you know, and, and as far as, as preventing vitamin D3, vitamin C, like you talked about the ascorbic acid as a treatment, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, so, you know, if, if people, if people look, yeah. you know, they'll find it. Zinc, uh, vitamin E, selenium. There's just a lot of stuff out there that could be potentially useful. And if in in these desperate times, we better be looking for them. Well, I appreciate your heart as a perpetual learner because it's inspiring. <laughs> you not only will you never burn out, you are uh, you're doing a fantastic job of shedding light and hope and information as you're going through life. So you're an inspiration to. All of those people around you, which I appreciate, PJ. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your insights and your inspirations today for during our Veter Integrative Veterinary Awareness Week. I look forward to catching up with you and all that you're doing next time. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. <laughs>